Caregivers, have you ever felt like nothing is going right? Well, cheer up and welcome to Dave, the Caregiver's Caregiver radio program, where you'll learn how to avoid that dreaded thing called caregiver burnout and how to survive the grieving process. Join Dave and his guests now as they share practice tips and tools that you can start using immediately to help get you through this day. Now, here's your caregiver host, Dave Nassani. From Los Angeles in New York City, a big LA welcome and big Apple welcome to all my listeners out there in Radio Land. I am Dave, the caregiver's caregiver at caregiverdave.com, along with my lovely co-host, Adrian Gruberg, at thecaregiverspace.org. Coming to you live and on demand, 24-7 on 20 global audio and video platforms. That's iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Vimeo, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, MixCloud, Listen Notes, Blueberry, Player FM, Podcast.com, VIP Internet Radio, Facebook Live, HealthyLife.net, and caregiverdave.com. And we're so proud to be voted number one caregiver podcast of the top 50 on Player FM and one of the top six best podcasts on Caring.com, as well as number three podcast out of thousands of caregiver podcasts on Feedspot. And we do have an exciting show planned for you today, don't we, Adrian? Yes, we do. He always knows. <laughs> David <laughs> Krinsis. David is the Chief Investment Officer of ETF Portfolio Management and Creator of Investments, InvestmentBenchmarks.com. Now, before some of you tune out and say you have no money to invest, there is a lot you can learn from David as a caregiver who's concerned about your retirement. And I can just hear some people saying, yeah, right, what retirement? <laughs> well, stay tuned. We got answers for you. But before we get started, I want to take this moment to thank my last week's guests. Yes, as seen on CNN and the Today Show, Margaret Fitzpatrick with her new book, Getting the Best Care, helping families navigate the healthcare system for over 20 years. And those are some turbulent waters, let me tell you. And just a reminder, you can listen to that interview and all our interviews on our membership website, caregiverdave.com, or any of the other 20 global networks that I mentioned earlier, like uh, iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, you know, all that stuff. All right, enough of that. Welcome to the show, David. So excited to have you on. Thank you, David. Thank you, Adrian. Great to be with you. Right, and you on video, you cannot see David because he's calling in. So Can he see us? He can see us, right? Okay. No, I don't think he can see us. I do not have it set up. I do yes, not. Okay. he's on his telephone. So that's okay. Uh, he's a good-looking guy. He's, uh, how old are you, David? You're a young man. I am 49. 49. You know, I used to be 49, and that was a great year. Me Nothing too. in my body hurt. I was. <laughs> I still looked like my wedding picture, believe it or not. So uh, cherish those years, David. They go by so quickly, especially when you're one year away from the half a century mark. So... Didn't mean to depress you there, but I'm sure you got your retirement in good shape, being so close to retirement, or uh, less years in front of you than you had behind you. So why don't you take a minute or two and introduce yourself? I like to say uh, to my guest, just who is David Krensis, and why were you put on this earth? Sure. So um, David Krensis is a researcher, portfolio manager, and... Um, uh, protector of 
of um, our finances as well as our understanding of how to maximize our efficiency in all of our primary roles. So I'd say mostly I'm a um, someone who's focused on growth and protection. Okay, and you told us what you did, but now I want you to tell us who you are <laughs> deep down. Who were you born to be? What what goals have you got to change the world? Well, we always uh, tell our, our clients and our market that we're building a next-generation vanguard. So we are a... Um, a educator of investors learning how to better protect and, and grow their finances. So in, in many respects, we're an educator. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, we're all educators, aren't we, Adrian? Yes. We're all teaching people how to get along in life and how to survive emotionally, financially, physically, mentally, spiritually. So welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank, so you. Thank you. Let's get started. What's the most important thing caregivers can be doing right now to prepare to save money for their retirement if there isn't any money to invest right now? You know, maybe they lost their job. Maybe their caregiving responsibilities caused them to get fired. Maybe medical bills ate everything. Maybe ate they everything. had to sell their house. Maybe they're living in a, in a one-bedroom apartment. I mean, I, who knows? Sure. Yeah, it's difficult when it feels like there's no money to invest, but it's surprising how far just a little bit can go. So even when you're just putting away a few hundred dollars or a few thousand dollars, whether you're doing um, special projects for people you know or companies that you want to intern with where you you know, pitch a specific project, whether it's uh, technology support or um, you know, being a... Uh, a uh, you know personal assistant, professional shopper. You know you could do an ebook. There's a lot of things people can do from you know handy person jobs to house sitting, where you can you know put together some some small amounts of cash that you can invest long term. And it's amazing how far money can grow when it's you know when it's done properly. Wow, you, you just impressed me because you're a financial guy and normally the, all they like to talk about is, well, give me your money, I'll invest it. But you just came up with about 10 or 12 ideas of what people can do <laughs> to make some money, to go into business for themselves or, or do some projects or act like a uh, as a independent contractor, a consultant, etc. Do you normally uh, give people those kind of creative ideas uh, when you talk to your clients? No, but I think people have to recognize that the important thing is just finding money to save however you find it. And when you do put that money away, it's just really incredible to see how, how fast it can compound. So even the small jobs, whatever they may be, $50 here, a few hundred dollars there, not buying the things that we really don't need, which is you know a lot of the things we consume. Uh, there's a lot of ways to scrape together money to invest. Yeah, I mean, even uh, down to babysitting, you know, uh, yeah. garage sale. I mean, most caregivers are buried in clutter. I mean, how about getting all that clutter down and get it, having a garage sale, you know? And some people have like a year's worth of clutter. They could have a garage sale every week, probably last six and, months. And when folks realize how much that <clears throat> extra $500 or that extra $1,000 can compound in the right instruments over 5 to 15 years, 
it, you really want that extra thousand dollars at work. You don't want it aging in the closet because it could be a very big difference ten to twenty years from now. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Great idea. So, tell us what are some safe uh, accent on the safe investments that can be guaranteed that their principal is not going to vanish Guarantees. into thin air. Yeah, <laughs> ironclad guarantee. You know. Yeah. Uh, right. Like the next stock market crash, like the one in 2008, or the real estate uh, crash. Do you fool around with real estate too, um, or are you strictly, you know, stock market bonds, those types of instruments? Well, we can really talk about real estate as well, but just to start off on the safety side, mm -hmm. the um, the mm -hmm. safest thing investors can do is really own a balanced mix of stocks and bonds through the biggest asset class index ETFs. So we're talking about the S&P 500 and long-term treasury bonds. And the nice thing about having those two instruments in an equal 50-50 combination is it gives the investor the lowest cost access to the biggest pillars of the global financial system. And that combination has effectively been the smoothest ride or one of the smoothest return streams for the past decade. And in the crash of 2008, you had a very low single-digit decline. And on a trailing 10-year basis, you compounded at around 8% a year, so over 100% over 10 years. And you can see these types of solutions at investablebenchmarks.com, but they're very simple ways for investors to put as little as $100 or $500 or $2,000 into a very safe, liquid, low-cost um, combination of instruments that are offered by the world's largest financial asset managers that give the investor a higher degree of safety because these instruments can be liquidated at any time and they're very low-cost and diversified. Yeah. Go ahead. I have a question. Um, if if a person comes to you with five hundred dollars that's been very hard for them to save, and they want to invest it, um, are you willing to talk to somebody who's just got five hundred dollars, or no, is that not enough for you to be interested yeah, in them? Generally, investors that are um, Dealing with those sums of capital, we direct to our website more than spend time with directly. But in right. terms of how an individual can be comfortable putting small sums of capital to invest, um, the website, investablebenchmarks.com, gives them some very good examples. Um, but generally speaking, at that you know, level of capital to invest, it's very hard to get um, sophisticated one-on-one -on -one guidance. But there's a lot of great resources, especially um, at our website. But um, depending on what the risk and return expectations are for that capital, there's a range of solutions investors can consider. The one I just described is really just the safest for solution for um, you know, long-term uh, primary assets. But when you want to have a portion of the capital perhaps targeting higher returns, there are a lot of other options to consider that have higher growth rates. Right. You ha see, what I have to come from the place of, of uh, a caregiver who's, who's had a very hard time putting that money together, well, $5,000, and they really don't know enough to just go to a website 
and invest money. They really need to have their hand held to understand sure. well, they, what they're they doing with this hand, money. They can still have their hand held when they um, talk directly to a discount broker. And the discount broker representatives can walk them through a lot of the basic questions that they have. But in terms of understanding what they actually want to pick for an investment, um, the reason we created InvestableBenchmarks.com was partially for that purpose because you know, we can't talk directly to everybody. And when you, mm-hmm. when you do get on the phone and you do talk to a person, um, you still have to have a basic sense of what you want to pick. And anyone who picks something for you, you're still going to try to understand the basics of what they picked for you. And when we show people investablebenchmarks.com, we show them very simple examples that they can pick from. So they can get on the phone with any discount broker and say, I want half and half S&P 500, half long-term treasuries. And the discount broker can buy that for them with whatever capital they have in the account. So you don't have to do it yourself, but when you decide what you're going to invest in, that's really what you're getting the expertise on. And we provide Mm -hmm. that very efficiently at that website, but we just can't directly explain it to everybody at that level personally. Okay, but you understand why I'm asking those questions. Sure, and I think at the end of the day, the investor is always going to want to have more access to more sophisticated expertise, and they're going to have limitations based on their asset base in in those Mm -hmm. cases. But they're still going to get a lot of great resources. I mean, listening to the videos on our website and just hearing this interview, they're going to hear a lot of the same discourse that they would have if we had a direct conversation. So having it directly is more comforting, but um, generally speaking, they're going to need to rely on more research than the access they can get directly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there are some podcasts out there that cater to those $500 investors. I mean, I, right right away, I think of like Dave Ramsey, and uh, you know, he he has some he has his own opinion of things, and uh, a lot of them don't agree with uh, uh, you know investment portfolio managers and stuff like that. But you know, he's that's where he's catering to. But what do you what do you say about the um, the uh, individuals who just don't recognize the world we're living in. The world is changing so quickly, and the rules don't apply anymore, and uh, people are losing faith in everything. They're losing faith in their government, in Congress, and the president. They're losing faith in the stock market. They're losing faith, you know, during that, uh, uh, in 2008, when all those um, CEOs who caused the uh, subprime mortgage were rewarded for their bad behavior with, Yes. You know, million dollar bonuses and and you had all those people sitting in what was the name of those uh, Occupy America Occupy, Occupy Wall, Wall Street, Street you know sure. and I really thought that was going to be a big big movement but it kind of just fizzled out because uh you know uh, there was feces uh, in the streets and trash and stuff and you know they it, just had a, it got they, they weren't organized yeah, but I totally agreed and that was really the only thing I agreed with on Bernie Sanders is that those people needed to pay, and and Wall Street needs a better traffic cop. Capitalism works when, when there's you know someone who's enforcing the rules. But when you have, I'm getting on a soapbox here. <laughs> when you have <laughs> monopolies like Google and Facebook and and uh, Amazon, you know that well, were it, smaller than John D. Rockefeller's Standard mm-hmm. Oil Trust and and AT and T that were broken up. 
the rules have changed, haven't they? And so uh, some people think that when the institutions that they used to trust in fall apart, kind of like they did in 2008, yeah, you know, they wonder, uh, will will I be able to cash in my bonds or cash in my stocks or sure. even, uh, you know, they're talking about uh, rating your savings account and, and doing reverse uh, interest and you have to pay for the next uh, financial meltdown. So uh, <laughs> I know that's a lot of lot I just gave you right there, but go ahead and take it you one know, at a time. You know, I, I sympathize because I, it's understandable that people are logically confused and frustrated with how fast things are changing. I mean, what Apple, what Amazon just did to the retail industry is an example of the disruption that artificial intelligence is going to bring to all industries. Absolutely. So what, what we all need to be prepared for is to have ourselves positioned to have these changes be a tailwind to our financial future instead of a headwind. So instead of being fearful of job loss to automation, we have to understand how we're going to reposition our careers to maximize the automation in our industry and recognize that our investments that are consistent with cutting edge innovation, especially in artificial intelligence, give us the greatest protection from these trends, from job loss or stag wage stagnation from automation, as well as the growth. When you look at the the billionaires list, the Forbes billionaires list, it's dominated by technology founders. So when you look at your investment portfolio, you have to make sure that you're overweight these diversified tech indexes and have this disruption that's affecting so many industries help grow your net worth instead of just be a, a concern about job loss. Mm -hmm. And when you no. look at it's really exciting right now because when you look at the new instruments that investors have, it's a bit, there's more opportunity today than ever for investors to catch up. Investors who are behind in saving for retirement, there's more opportunity to catch up today than ever. And that's really the exciting message. Give us an example of just a couple of new instruments, as you put it. Sure. So one of the big um, innovations that have taken Wall Street by storm over the past decade or so is the concept that when you have a safer portfolio, you get more return overall by having more of a safer portfolio than less of an aggressive portfolio. Um, you know, in, in investing, the concept of leverage is, is kind of taboo in retirement investing. <laughs> it's, it's really only accepted in America for your primary residence or, or real estate. And it's interesting that what Wall Street has learned over the past decade from the world's largest hedge funds is that when you put leverage on a safer portfolio, the return stream that you get is so much more attractive than an unlevered growth portfolio that you it kind of you want to envision like a motorboat that has three smaller, safer engines instead of one big engine that could blow up. The one big engine that could blow up is your traditional growth portfolio. And your three smaller, safer engines are like three super safe income and growth portfolios that are half the safest bonds or the mix that gives you the smoothest rise. So you're half, again, half long-term treasuries, half stocks, and that's historically been a very smooth ride that you can leverage. And it turns out that when you put leverage on a really safe income and growth base, instead of targeting 8% a year, you can literally target as much as 15% a year or more. So over 10 years, instead of targeting a 100 to 150% total return, 
you could target as much as 500% or 1,000%. So over two decades of that kind of potential outperformance, you can grow money a lot, potentially a lot faster. Now, past performance, of course, can never guarantee future results, and we always know that. But at the same time, artificial intelligence and technology are really accelerating in their capacity. Um, the expectations for the next few decades are that the intelligence within artificial intelligence will massively exceed uh, human capabilities. So when you think of how much wealth was created just from the emergence of the internet or just from the emergence of global mobile um, information, the concept of having massively intelligent artificial intelligence is really um, the only area in the economy where you would see that um, manifested is in stock prices because stock prices are going to reflect that innovation from this um, enhanced intelligence. In real estate prices, you'll see it here and there, but you know, robots don't need houses. And when you look at what's happened over the past decade, you've seen a lot more wealth creation in technology than real estate. So some areas of real estate will do fine, but generally speaking, I think there's a lot more potential over the next few decades in technology, diversified technology indexes, much more than um, other areas. Well, did I hear you say that uh, real estate was one of those safe investments? <laughs> well, real estate, you know, the only reason why real estate has been so attractive to so many folks is because of the leverage. If you looked at the expenses, transaction costs, maintenance, insurance, environmental risk, and all the issues with real estate, the illiquidity, you would never deal with all the negatives of real estate without the leverage. And you never had leverage on a retirement portfolio before. You, you just, the margin account didn't work well. And now that you have these leveraged ETFs, which make leverage on semiconductors and leverage on the NASDAQ 100 or the S&P 500 or a balanced portfolio, now that you're leveraged on all these more diversified options, uh, the attractiveness of leverage on real estate is not so much. And, and then the environmental risk of real estate and the, the automation of labor are all trends that make real estate a lot more you know, challenging, especially for less liquid investors. So I think when investors compare levered technology returns or levered income and growth returns to levered real estate, hands down, the more diversified, more liquid index solutions are far more attractive yeah. in our book. Many people have lost their homes uh, because they were leveraging the equity in their home to start a business or to invest in something, and then and then they kind of forgot that their house was at risk. <laughs> and when the investment goes bad, <laughs> now they're uh, you know they're in trouble. So yeah. So leverage is an incredible tool, incredibly fantastic tool when it's successful, and it's incredibly dangerous when it's unsuccessful. The, no, really the banks were pushing uh, home equity lines of credits, and in their advertising, yeah. they said, use the money to uh, start our business, use the money to uh, buy that other piece of real estate or a vacation home or whatever. You know, they were encouraging. You know, it was it. a bubble. It was a bubble, and bubbles happen, and, and it's the nature of, you know, Bubbles market. happen. I guess that's a nice philosophy of life. Bubbles happen. <laughs> <You know, laughs> The opportunity for investors is to recognize that bubbles rotate. I call that you gas. Want see, <laughs> <laughs> you, you want to see where the next bubble is. You want to be <laughs> mindful of where's the bubble going. And right okay, now, so there will the always bubble be bubbles. You're saying find out yeah. where the bubbles are and avoid them. No, no, or bubbles take are advantage of them. 
or ride they're, them they're up really and get out before it pops? They're huge opportunities. You just don't want to be but too timing, aggressive with that. Timing has always been the issue. You buy that stock, you you ride it up, and you know you either sell it too soon and then it goes to the moon without you, or you don't sell it soon enough and it goes down to hell. So well, any how do you know the timing? Any time an investor incurs a material loss or gives back a material gain, they always had they always had opportunities to, to, to lock it in, and they chose not to. So the truth is, people in most cases shouldn't be doing this themselves. In most cases, if they are doing it themselves, they really shouldn't be very active. The passive approach is, is a better probability. Um, but for folks who have to be active, um, you know, it takes a lot of experience and research to get it right so and i don't have got a lot of bad advice by so-called experts well our uh, our one is go ahead there's <laughs> just there's an awful lot of people doing their own day trading um i mean what what percent of people now do you think are doing that i mean i i've been at homes where you know people have these setups with three giant computers and <laughs> you know they're they're watching everything and they're making trades themselves, so that they're they they're watching for the bubble. Yeah, yeah <laughs> they're, sure. they're looking it's for not... that bubble. How are they doing it? I'm asking David. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say, generally speaking, people who are actively trading are underperforming strategic index investing, and many folks um, don't know or don't care if that's what they're doing. But in terms of maximizing your financial future as a burnt-out caregiver, you absolutely want to stick to the um, very passive strategic indexing. And whether you're in a 50-50 mix of S&P 500 long-term treasuries or if you go into a, an investable benchmark like uh, the one prescribed by David Swenson from Yale, which we show on our website as well, um, those are the approaches that, are safe for the novice who has a small amount of capital to invest. All these other things that we're talking about or more mm. sophisticated approaches are not for the burnt-out caregiver. Listen, let's take a break. We'll be right back. Don't go away. ...of caregivers that understands and supports you wherever you are in your journey. We are a place to connect with other caregivers, but more importantly, a place to get practical, actionable help. There are lots of ways for you to get support. First of all, you can download our welcome pack. This will get you started on your Thrive journey. Next, you can ask and get answers to your questions by posting them here in our private Facebook groups. You can also get live online support by attending one of our live weekly Connect webinars. You can get practical, actionable advice by listening to our weekly podcast. You can hear and read other stories about other caregivers' experiences. Plus, add your own in our weekly Share Your Story forum, posted every Tuesday in the Facebook group. You can access essential resources and download practical Thrive Solutions Packs, all of which are geared to help you thrive as a caregiver. You can get lifetime access to all of our resources. Again, we're here to support you and help you thrive and to enjoy your life as a caregiver. And remember, this is a place to get hope, not just cope. 
And we're back with our guest, David Krensis, and my co-host, Adrian Gruberg. And we're talking about finances. And so uh, did we finish that last thought, or should I go on to another question? I think we finished it. Okay. What do you think, David? Sure, we can, we can move on. <laughs> so this is a caregiver show, so let's talk about caregivers. If a caregiver lost a lot of money in the stock market and believes it's a rigged system, you know, like Las Vegas, how can they get over that feeling and feel safe with investments and still sleep at night? <laughs> sure. You know, when, when people lost, when they lose a lot of money in the stock market, typically they're doing something that they know they shouldn't be doing, whether it's being too concentrated in an investment or being too heavily exposed to stocks versus bonds. And generally, they know that they're really not taking it by the book. They're kind of swinging too hard or outside the strike zone. And so they're gambling. What many, they're, yeah, they it's are, the biggest well, casino in the world. And, <laughs> and it's it fun to gamble, button. right? That's why it's, people do it. Yeah. It can be fun. But you know what? When you, when you see the solutions that are safe and how you can dial them up and down safely – once you have the stronger core in place, you become less tempted by the speculation or the candy. So the better the core and the more you understand the core, the easier it is to avoid the crap. And that starts with your indexing, your strategic indexing. So when you watch the investable benchmarks, when you watch the benchmarks that we report at investablebenchmarks.com and you see how these simple diversified index solutions deliver performance, you stop wanting to chase those aggressive stocks or those mm. crazy ideas. And that's really where investors lose the most money is when they say, okay, you know, I'm just going to put it all on, you know, something speculative. And Red. that's when it gets yes, dangerous. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the nice thing is when, when investors want to catch up and they get impatient, Instead of being overly aggressive in a concentrated manner, which is what you needed to do in the past to hit a grand slam fast, now you could put leverage on a much safer approach. So you can dial up your return safer than ever. That's why earlier I was saying it's so exciting today for investors to catch up faster than ever. Because now when you look at a safe income and growth portfolio and you look at what that solution delivers when it's dialed up to a two times multiple or a three times multiple, and you see an 8% return dialed up to 10, 15, 20% annually in a diversified index solution, that's a much more dynamic way to um, drive the portfolio faster than to try to gamble on concentrated individual stocks. But let's be clear here. You're talking about mutual funds. Everything you've spoken about so far is mutual funds, right? different kinds. Well, they're actually, they're index funds, which is a type of mutual fund, and they're actually yeah. exchange-traded index funds, specifically. So they're, they're index funds that trade like stocks. Mm -hmm. And some of them today allow you to have leverage on indexes, and they're very, they're very misunderstood. Um, a lot of investors and advisors just say to stay away from them completely because they don't work perfectly. Mm -hmm. But for the investor yes. who wants to catch up, for the investor who wants to catch up, um, levered income and growth is one technique that is extremely successful in the hedge fund world and is, has performed phenomenally well um, for individual investors that, that watch it. So it's something for investors to watch and 
whatever investors do, it's always sound to just take baby steps and, and reward success. So yeah. if you're going down the right path and you're going slowly and it's getting better, you could always accelerate. But if it's, if it's hurting, you have to slowly turn it off. You can't let a small loss grow into a big loss. Right. So mutual funds and index funds both have market risk. Uh, they're just called different things, right? You're saying index funds trade right. on the like stocks, so their their prices go up and down. And yet, um, uh, what do they call it? Uh, the value of a mutual fund when you want to liquidate, and they say, "Well, let's see what your uh, yeah." Well, what do they call that? The net yeah. asset value at the end of the day. So and with it, mutual funds, it's very similar, and they both have market risk, right? Yeah, the big difference with the index fund is you're not paying the, for the human to mess it up. And on average, the human's going to mess it up. Explain that, please. <laughs> yeah, explain that. So, so the index fund is basically machine-driven. The machine has an algorithm. For example, the S&P 500 is, let's own the 500 companies that represent the majority of America so or the U.S. economy. So whatever the, the rule set is for the index, that becomes automated, and for the investor's purposes, it's low cost, it's diversified, and it's tax efficient. Once you put a human in the driver's seat, now you've got all kinds of subjectivity driving the bus, and you've got much lower tax efficiency, typically far less diversification, and ultimately, on average, lower performance. You so mean the human who's selecting you, the stocks to put in the mutual fund? Is that what you mean? Yeah, the human who's trying to drive the bus and try to say, hey, which, who's going to be the next who's Apple? Who's buying and the selling fund, at different times? The index fund protects you because the index fund won't miss the next Amazon or the next Apple because the index funds are market cap weighted traditionally. So whoever becomes the next Apple or Amazon, they're going to grow in the index and you're going to have that weighting in your portfolio grow automatically. In the mutual fund, if that active manager somehow misses the next Apple or Amazon and underperforms, that's one of your biggest risks being with, you know, outside the index. Okay, so let's say we're fully invested in index funds 2007 and 2008. You know what happened. What yep. happened and how long did it take to recover? So in the unleveraged, balanced index mix, you were down single digits, you know, 2 4%, very low. And you mm -hmm. got back positive the next year. So the 8% a year that you would be targeting with this income and growth 50-50 mix really has very small bumps in terms of volatility. You're really so other stocks were down 50% and your fund or uh, index funds generally were up 4%. Well, this prescription that we're talking about, the safe prescription of a 50-50 balance mix with long-term treasuries for the bond piece, that specific mm -hmm. mix has had very low volatility, especially in 2008, because in 2008, when the S&P fell 37%, the long-term treasury bond ETF was up 34%. So investors should be asking, if you got so much protection in 08, what gives you the confidence that long-term treasuries will always give you that protection? And the answer is you don't. You don't have absolute confidence. Long-term treasuries can, can go down with equities, but your expectation is the expectation is that if equities are in a panic and that sea of money is flooding out of equities and needs a door it could fit into where it, it can't sit in cash, it has to go into a security, mm. that the long-term treasury option is your first door of shock absorption protection for a big flood of capital in a panic. 
So if you have systemic is that risk, part of the is that part of the income the uh, index fund that long term so treasuries are fund, a part of it or is it separate? Yeah. So any specific index fund is typically referring to one asset class. So long-term treasuries would be one asset class, equities would be another asset class. And what you're doing as an investor is you're building a portfolio that's mixing more than one asset class. So you'd have more nice. than one index fund in your mix. So what we're giving is an example of a safe combination where you'd be half long-term treasuries, half S&P 500 or half global equities. And that 50-50 mix really benefits from the long-term treasury discipline on the bond side. Being half long-term treasuries is what made that 2008 decline so low. Now, so when again, you told me is, that in, uh, sorry for interrupting. Uh, when you told me that your 2008 uh, uh, return was 4%, uh, you were averaging all the different uh, uh, classes, or did you say that was an unleveraged uh, so that's the 4% loss in 08 was referring to the income and growth benchmark we show on investablebenchmarks.com, which is half global equities, 42%, uh, I'm sorry, half long-term treasuries, 42% global equities, and 8% REITs. The so it was an average of all, it was an average of a bunch of uh, different index funds, right? No, that's, that's, that's the example that we show investors for this, for this low-risk 50-50 mix. But a simpler version, I was just earlier, I was discussing an even simpler version where you're just half long-term treasuries, half S&P 500. That simplest version had a 2% decline in 08. Now, the worst year for that mix was actually last year when it was down 6%. But still, the bottom line is, you're not targeting a 10 or 20 percent decline in a, in a bad year. You're targeting a three to five percent decline in a traditional bad year. And over 10 years, you know, the trailing 10 years, you got about eight percent a year. So over 100 yeah. percent. You're, okay. you're 49. You're 49 years old. Uh, when did you start doing this? So I started working on Wall Street as a high yield bond research analyst um, in 1996. And I launched ETFPM. So, how many recessions have you seen? (laughs) (laughs) I like that question. (laughs) Less than me, probably. I'm 65. Well, I saw, in terms of volatility in the stock market, I saw the 87 uh, crash as an individual trader. um, And I managed a hedge fund during the internet crash. And our algorithm put up gains in the liquidity crisis of 08. So, we've we've seen volatility up close. but um, just getting back to that um, balance mix we were just saying for a second ago, once the investor sees that that, that super safe mix got the 8% a year, what they then see is that these new levered ETFs let them dial that 8 up. So if they want to dial up that income and growth two times to instead of taking, say, 5 or 6% risk as a worst year, dialing it up to, say, 10 to 12% risk, then the doubling of that target return going from 8 to, say, 14 or 15, it more than doubles the 10-year return in terms of a total return. That's the power of compounding that Einstein referred to as this you know, mathematical um, eighth wonder of the world, is that when you compound a higher number, uh, it, the growth is exponential. So you're, when you double your return, your annualized return, your long-term return more than doubles. And where you could see this very clearly as an example 
is the new uh, ETF that tracks the S&P 500 with leverage. Um, the symbol is UPRO. This, this ETF gives investors exposure that's three times the S&P 500. So for the past 10 years, the S&P 500 compounded at about 13% a year. And this levered version compounded at 31. So 31% instead of 13. You didn't get an exact triple. But even at less than triple, the 10-year total return went from just over 200% to just over 1,200%. So less than tripling of the annualized return translated to over six times the 10-year total return. So when you dial up the portfolio to target a higher return, the result that you're targeting long-term is actually even higher because of compounding. Hmm. So you still do it slowly in baby steps, but it gives the investor appreciation that there's a, a means to, to drive the bus faster and safer than ever before wow. <laughs> using these products. Now, now we've seen interest rates uh, historically low for longer than any time in history, right? Yeah, uh, we've seen interest rates go up and down. Uh, you know, the Jimmy Carter years, they were approaching 20% inflation, no. all of that. Do you do you foresee that interest rates are going to permanently be, you know, the 4 and 5% uh, because the government owns so much debt that it would right. bankrupt them to have them go any higher? I mean, they tried uh, when the economy looked like it was uh, coming out of a recession – they tried to raise them, and they immediately brought them back down again. So I'm skeptical whether we're ever going to see high interest rates again. And it's a double-edged sword, you know. There's the bad part, but the good part is for investors. They get these great returns on investment. But, you know, you've got to talk about the dollar and, and the volatility of, of the world economies and how we're so globally interrelated. What's your take for the future as far as – uh, is it going to be uh, – I don't think it's going to be any part of the past. Uh, we're in uncharted territory, aren't we? We don't really know what's going to happen, do we? Well, I think investors always have to be prepared for every possible scenario. So even if the long term is super um, tilted in one direction or another, it could be a very bumpy, you know, windy road to get there. So you always have to be able to adjust the investment solution efficiently for the current environment. And if you do get a spike in interest rates and you're, the bond side of the portfolio starts crashing, there has to be a mechanism to stop the bleeding and to either reduce the exposure or turn off the side that's in a bear market. But we, we, we actively step in and make adjustments in extreme environments that can be critical for investors. And I think that one of the recent lessons investors have to keep in mind when they think about interest rates and, and the stock market and their investments and their house and, and all the risks that you could think about is that what happened in Japan in the 90s was really shocking in, in, from a developed country equity perspective. Their, their country's equities were kind of neck and neck with the U.S. in the late 80s. And then they went into this horrendous you know, 20 year secular bear market where the stock market dropped, you know, 70, 80%. So you had a, you know, American investors couldn't fathom a bear market of, you know, the likes of what happened in Japan. 
But what happened in Japan is just a reminder to all investors to be prepared for extreme market environments of any duration at any time. So whoever's watching the investment you know, portfolio has to have circuit breakers to say, hey, whatever's happening right now, we haven't seen it before, it hasn't happened, whatever, it's too painful, here's our circuit breaker, you know, we're going to pull over and wait for the storm to pass. The idea of just buying and holding and riding through any storm, no matter what, you know, we could advocate that for a small portion of the portfolio and the portion where, you know, if that portion of the portfolio had a, a horrendous outcome, it wouldn't, you know, ruin the full year household. Yeah. But for investors who are fully invested passively with a buy and hold approach with the mindset that they're just going to ride it out no matter what happens, um, that's, you know, that has some significant risk in unprecedented environments like what happened in Japan. So it's hard for investors to just buy and hold without extra risk controls. And the extra risk controls are never anticipating exactly what's going to trigger the event. They're just prepared for any event at any time. Well, we're going to take another break. And when I get back, I want to talk about uh, the biggest danger that everyone seems to say that is on the horizon, and that's the national debt, which is getting bigger and bigger. This year alone, we've got uh, a $1 trillion deficit and so we'll be right back. So prepare your answer for that one. Chris <laughs> <laughs> Caregiver has just released his sixth book entitled It's My Life Too. Reclaim your caregiver sanity by learning when to say yes and when to say no. It was specifically written for caregivers who know they should be putting their needs first, but just don't know how. Dave is the sole caregiver to his wife, Charlene, since 1996. He knows firsthand what caregivers are going through, because he is one. And he now speaks all across the country, offering caregivers his incredible caregiver support package. Even the airlines tell us that in the event of an emergency, to put your oxygen mask on first, before you help your child with their mask. They know that those who don't heed their advice often black out, thus becoming unable to help either themselves or their child. And caregivers are exactly the same way. It's my life too. Reclaim your caregiver sanity by learning when to say yes and when to say no. We'll help caregivers who are neglecting their sleep, diet, and social life, and learn to put their needs first. Pick up your copy today, or buy one for your special caregiver. On sale everywhere, and at caregiverscaregiver.com. And we're back with David Kresnes and Adrian Gruberg. So do you agree, like most people, that uh, we should be concerned about the national debt? Everyone's concerned about the national debt, but yet nobody's doing anything about the national debt. It just goes higher and higher and higher. Um, this has got to become like a self-fulfilling prophecy. One day we're going to hit that point of no return, and we're going to be in trouble. And what are the dangers of having a runaway national debt, besides the government uh, not being able to make good on their uh you know their promises and countries like china basically uh owning the mortgage on america right sure you know it's it's a very serious concern and um investors will never know exactly the timing of when it becomes damaging in their investments until they see it in the price action of those investments so our discipline is price driven we don't really need to know what's making the market go down. If it goes down enough, we have to take action. So once the debt becomes a problem for the market, 
it'll be evident in the price of the market and that will force us to make changes. But as far as China goes, which is a very big issue with the trade war today and also another big issue from the perspective of investor exposures, you know, many investors today are very underweight emerging markets in general and China in general. And when you look at the size of their economy and the size of the growth of their economy, as long as the U.S. is outperforming China, it's a non-issue. But if or when the time comes where China or emerging markets are outperforming the U.S. over a material time frame, then the risk to investors can escalate quickly because when investors rebalance, and they could be forced to rebalance eventually if the U.S. underperforms, uh, that rebalancing can present a, um, a dangerous environment for sure. So I think are we the, are we the very... only? Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Are, are we the only country in the world that allows foreign investment from other nations, or especially hostile nations? I mean, can <laughs> can Americans go over and invest and buy office buildings in China or buy companies? I think for Americans to invest in China is not uh, necessarily as straightforward as it, as it is uh, for them here. But um, is it possible? It's not something that we. Those issues aren't you know things that we deal with. We deal with the, the liquid uh, index funds. I think for certainly. For I know, but these are these are external circumstances that affect what you do. <laughs> these Absolutely. these things are bigger than both of us. You know, all of and us. And that's exactly that's exactly why we we strictly focus on these um, index instruments that have liquidity, where if you need to sell this long-term treasury index fund or the S&P index fund, your cost to get out and your speed of getting out um, are much lower and faster and more efficient than most investments of that nature that an investor can choose from. So when you do need to put on protection, uh, you, don't want it, you don't want it to be expensive. You don't want it to be costly every time you want to pull over to the side of the road. And of so course, I'm playing. Large... I'm playing devil's advocate here, which I told you I would because I'm a little paranoid <laughs> myself. And uh, uh, I'm just wondering if if this happens, if the debt reaches to the point where it damages and prices start free falling, because you know they can do that, <laughs> even with circuit breakers. Um, isn't somebody somewhere at some time going to suffer a tremendous, tremendous? loss that they will not be able to to make of course yeah. the whole world will be going to yeah. hell in a handbag yeah. Uh, yeah. Fact, uh, maybe armageddon it, comes next i don't know <laughs> in fact the headline you should look for to see that unravel happening is the demise of deutsche bank so deutsche bank is the the weak link well, they're in, in trouble already bank. aren't they yeah and there's been a lot of concern that if they did circle the drain quickly uh you would have a lehman moment where the markets would seizure up and it would be a big uh, 50% off party. So there's no question investors have to be very mindful of extreme risk for any number of reasons at any time. So what we advocate is whatever portion of the portfolio is passive, there's still circuit breaker protections on that portion. And then the portion of the portfolio that's active has the um, tactical capability to rotate to defensive sectors more quickly to protect gains or to go to cash. So as long as the investor isn't 100% passive buy and hold and has a large exposure to long-term treasury bonds, 
these types of extreme risks should be palatable. It's really just when you're over-concentrated or over-aggressive without extra risk controls that this type of turbulence can throw you off the horse. Adrian, I, I love the vocabulary of investment people. You must be mindful oh. <laughs> of extreme risks. That sounds just so nice, so warm and fuzzy. But it, <laughs> Mindfulness. <laughs> as opposed to, uh, you know, telling them, my God, what, you know, what's the, what were you thinking, you know, or something like that. He's so. got to, he, he has to keep his, his, I'm sorry, his David, but this is a semi, semi-hostile environment here. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard when, when it's I your money you, at risk. I told you, I warned you. I did warn you, didn't I? <laughs> no, it's, it, it's understood. It's, it's very hard when it's your hard-earned money and it's, it's a tough market environment. But, you know, if you look back 20 years ago or 10 years ago, the one thing that you could have said without question was, Technology is driving the global economy. And you could still say that today, and I'm pretty confident you'll say that 10 years from now too. And when you look at these instruments that give you levered technology exposure, over the past 10 years, whether it was the NASDAQ 100 or the semiconductor index, these instruments uh, compounded at over 30% a year for the past nine years. So total returns over 10 times your money, like 10 to uh, 15 to 20 times your money over 10 years. Now, over this past decade, that was a pretty strong decade for U.S. equities and a strong decade for tech. So you could easily, you know, these, in, these instruments can also fall 50% in a few months. <laughs> but it's a lot better than picking a stock. Yeah, that would make you're me cough, pick, too. <laughs> if you're going to try to pick a stock for the next 10 years, if you're going to try to pick any one company, that's a much higher risk than just picking diversified tech. Yeah. And over the past five or 10 years, if you compared your favorite growth company, Amazon, um, Netflix, yeah. you know, even a Roku <laughs> this year, it's very hard to compete with a three times levered yeah. S&P 500 or NASDAQ 100. Well, unfortunately, we've run out of time. We've got a couple of minutes left. And my, the last question I'd like to ask you is, uh, how about real estate? You know, you watch the commercials. They come on about this time in the cycle. Every 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 time uh, let it, flipping, you know, you can make home, make money flipping homes and you can make oh, you money, can. you know, buying uh, trust deeds, uh, uh, the people who who uh, who didn't pay their property taxes and stuff like that. How does real estate compare with what you do? You know, real estate has done well with declining interest rates, and um, real estate's having gone through the, the last bubble cycle and looking at what automation is doing to wages. It's very hard for us to be bullish on single-family real estate. Multifamily's done fine. Data centers are doing fine because of artificial intelligence. But retail has gotten decimated by uh, online retail and offices next. So generally speaking, I think investors in real estate uh, should be looking at tech. <laughs> so, so, so you're saying that um, private sector real estate is not even a matter of discussion? It's not of interest when we look at the returns and the risk. Investment. Um, real estate is just not – I mean, you have to remember that Artificial intelligence is expected to have an extraordinary leap in productivity and intelligence yeah. that will be unmatched. And how, how can anything else keep up with that? No, I understand it's a, it's a that. Love, and it's, it's, a, it's an opportunity cost. 
when you look at real estate has a hard time keeping up with semiconductors without leverage. Once you put leverage on tech, um, real, you know, a billionaire can own a lot more robots than they can vacation homes, right? A billionaire can own a whole army of robot laborers, but they can only, you know, sail behind, you know, water ski behind so many yachts. So the, the people who own the global economy are going to have a lot more semiconductors at work than real estate properties. Mm-hmm. And all these, high, all these high tech companies are much lower headcount. So investors have to remember, you know, robots don't need houses. And will will the country, will the government, uh, Democrats or Republicans ever get behind uh, breaking up these huge global companies uh, in the name of uh, antitrust and monopolies? When appropriate, will, will, will. I'm not sure that that's the answer as much as um, a system that, um, you know, granted, I, I really should just focus on the trends. But at the end of the day, I don't think that's um, something that those you know, companies could just go to another country because not it's not outlawed. Uh, well, America's going to have a hard enough America's going to have a hard enough time competing with China without breaking these companies up. So um, it's hard to say how much um, advance or uh, risk that would pose. But I we are the that. ones who made China uh, what it is today. So <laughs> wow. You know, it's it's hard to appreciate how fast. Um, wealth trends can change and America's had a phenomenal, phenomenal run. It's just hard to envision that that can go on permanently. Eventually there's going to be some hangover. So investors have to be prepared. Well, we run out of time. Thank you so much for coming on. I feel smarter uh, about (laughs) investing. Uh, A little less less paranoid, but only a little less. (laughs) How can someone get a hold of you if they want to do business with you? Sure. So you could reach us online at etfpm.com or investablebenchmarks.com. And you can reach us by phone at 866-409-5844. Thank you again for coming on. Thank you, Adrian, for coming on every week the way you do. And uh, You're welcome. caregiverdave.com, that's where you go if you want to help with stress. And uh, 30% of you guys are dying because of stress. So God bless you all, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Caregiver's Caregiver radio program with Dave Nassani.